I said, is anybody in the room that believes that this morning? Come on and give him some praise. Give him some praise. Yeah, 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 yeah. My, 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 my. Somebody said, why you sing those words over and over again? Because it takes a little while to get them in there. How many of you know when, when you are up in the middle, struck between a rock and a hard place, that's when you need to remember that you are good, you are good, and you're never going to let me down. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Welcome to Victory Church. My name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Victory. Thrilled to see you. We are so excited at the amazing progress happening in our new building. Uh, actually, paint is on the walls now. Um, Let's see. I think uh, it's pretty amazing. The new stained glass arrived uh, for the, the windows between the sanctuary and the uh, reclaimed from a 1867 Presbyterian church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So we're carrying something of the old and something of the new into this thing. That's what the Bible's Jesus said that the scribe of the kingdom brings both old and new out of his treasures. And so in the middle of all of the modern kind of, you know, church, the way we do it, we're, we're hearkening to, to say that we are abiding in the vine in truth and the historical vine of Christianity. So not just because you have a couple pieces of stained glass, but we just wanted people to be able to say, hey, that, man, that's beautiful, and I love that. And we're, 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 we're 21st century, but we're tied to all of our past and the men and women who laid down their lives for us. And so that's kind of the, the, the symbolism behind why we're doing that. It's going to be exciting as the next few weeks open up, um, looking to probably be able to get in there around the first week of November and start loading in everything. It's going to take us a month to get everything done. We'll be announcing some times for the sake of uh, unloading stuff from this building. And um, I told someone recently, I said, you know, when you read the book of Chronicles, when Hezekiah was king, it said he gave an order to clean out the temple of God. Well, I'm going to tell you, we're going to have a temple cleaning back here <laughs> in this big back room. And uh, when he opened the doors to the house of the Lord and they cleaned, they had a revival. So I, I'm excited. How many of you know if you want to learn to appreciate and just have a revival about the things you have, is clean out all the junk you don't need and give away and bless somebody. It'll just free your heart up and you just feel so wonderful. Uh, you know, if, if you got a little bit of hoarding spirit on you, the way to deal with it is just go give away and throw out and stuff you don't need. Come on, somebody say amen. Uh, I've been there, done that. I know exactly all about that whole hoarding thing. So um, just thrilled to have you today. It's wonderful to be here. I'm a little bit um, beside myself because we had a big party this weekend, a wedding party for Drew and Holly, his fiancée, and Abby flew in for the party. We had about 85 people or so, 80 or 85, come through my house last night. And uh, just had a great time. So grateful for all of the people that really, um, who've known Drew. I know a lot of you haven't because he was out of high school and in college uh, by the time some, some of you came. And, and so just really appreciate your praying for him and his fiancée. I'll be out the last Sunday of this month. I believe it'll be the weekend of the 28th, 29th, 30th, somewhere in there. Um, I have the pleasure of being able to join my son and his lovely fiance in the holy bonds of matrimony and covenant marriage. And so it's going to be an amazing, amazing time. Excited about that. And uh, some of you are, are going and appreciate your supporting my son. Those of you who've been really connected to him, some of you don't know him, and that's fine. 
our church has outgrown the thing where you got to feel like, you know, you got to be involved in everything and all that. And so I just um, just want to say special thanks to Brenna Vest and to Aunt Pat Carpenter and to uh, Lori Busby. Lori Busby, let me get it out, right? Um, who really just uh, picked up the slack. Drew teared up. He said, "You know, these three ladies." have really stepped in and filled mom's shoes d- during this. I said, wait a minute, baby, I've been doing all this. She said, he said, yeah, but you've got to have a little female touch, Dad. You're pretty good at it. But So, um, so we're just so grateful. Uh, really blessed my family and those of you who've helped us out for this to celebrate their time together. This morning we are, I believe, in number four. We've got a five-value series. Next Sunday we'll conclude it. And um, we've been talking for a few weeks about victory values. If you have a copy of your uh, message notes, uh, we have kind of a staircase on the front of it. And we see from the bottom, environment, embrace, engage, equip. That's where we are today on number four, equip. And then next week will be excel. Uh, about, About 2010, late 2010, the fall of, we met with a core group of folks, um, and really began to hammer out what we felt like the value statement of Victory Church should be. And um, I am grateful that we've seen the Lord pull together and build uh, an amazing team of people that are made up of teams, plural, uh, all the way from our lead preaching team and our board of trustees and our shepherds and our team leaders which, by the way, that's what we call deacons and elders at Victory. Deacons are team leaders. They oversee facilitation of ministry. Elders are shepherds, which are like a pastoral uh, leadership capacity here in Victory. And then we have a board of trustees that are made up of them and some business people as well that advise. And you all know our lead team, wonderful group of folks with Pastor Haley as our children's pastor, Pastor Jeremy as Victory, I mean, as Wired Youth Pastor. And myself. And so um, we are just so grateful to be able to uh, pull all this thing together and all the people who serve in so many areas in the children's ministry, Victory Kids. We're stepping into great growth, uh, new areas of ministry in the children's church. I'm not going to open up. I think Pastor Haley will be telling you about that. Just a lot of really wonderful things happening. Our own space where we don't have to worry about termites holding wings for it not to fall down. And uh, shortly after we leave, we've already given our notice. It will be keys be handed back to them effective January 1st. And then they'll be out here with bulldozers. So it's served its purpose. We've been in here 27 years. And God has blessed us as we've been here. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise if you would. When we met with the core group, my pastor said, do not go print a slick bulletin or a slick brochure. Uh, and hand it out on Victory's five Victory values with environment and embrace and engage and, e- and equip and excel. And don't stand up and preach a message, but take one year for each value, live it, model it, demonstrate it, drive it into the teams, mentor them and disciple them so that they can communicate it to their teams. And as you begin to do that, it will become a part of the life and the fiber and the fabric of Victory Church. And so we took that important, such an important piece of wisdom that said, just, just start right now, begin to build the environment. 
And so we intentionally create an environment. And the environment is not just the lights and the style of music and the volume and the fact that you can bring coffee in and you can be comfortable and you can dress in jeans and the pastor's up there in flip-flops this morning. What in the world is going on? <laughs> the world coming to an end. And the fact that you can be comfortable and you can just come into a warm environment where people really do care about each other. Because right. uh, I, I don't know, no stones being thrown. I have nobody in mind. But every church in the city, they don't, they don't act like that. Uh, you don't feel that kind of warmth. And it's, you know, you kind of feel like an alien or an outsider or somebody from Mars when you go into their space. And so we want, we want to reach out. We, we intentionally create an environment and it's not just the lighting, it's not just, you know, how we bring things to a, uh, a climax in worship, but it's about how we choose to love the Lord and to love each other, and how we treat each other, and how we have grace for each other. We have grace-based relationships. And so we intentionally create an environment where we, second one, where we embrace diversity in our community, and we just make the decision that we're going to love God and we're going to love our neighbor. No matter that they're different from us, Jesus didn't say love all the neighbors that are similar to you. He said, love your neighbors. And so that means we're going to have to love folks that talk like different and that look different and that, that believe different and that live different than we do. And we're going to have to show and demonstrate the love of God to this community. Somebody say amen. And so we, we create an environment intentionally where we embrace diversity in the community. And then when, when we can touch them in that moment when you, you can talk to somebody and you know that a door of a window of opportunity is opening up and in that moment, we're ready to drop a seed of the gospel. And the gospel has so much power in it. One little bitty tiny seed. It's like nitroglycerin drops. You know, it, a little bitty bit can just blow up something amazing. And the gospel is so powerful. It's like that little bitty tiny oak seed that wedged its way into or dropped into a crack in the sidewalk. And it grew into a sapling. And the sapling grew into a tree. And it literally moved all the brokenness and the heavy weight and the bondage of the concrete of sin in our lives. That's what the gospel can do. And so we engage people with the life-giving message of the gospel. That brings us to this morning's message to value number four, where we equip Christ followers to serve in every, or to lead in every area of life. And we're going to talk about what that leading means. It actually means serving this morning. And so you can see the progression there. We, we, we decide how we're going to live and love each other in the environment. We embrace the people God sends to we engage them with the gospel. We love them just like they are, but we let them know that God loves them so much he won't leave us that way. How many of you know God's still working on us this morning? Come on, somebody. And so we engage them with the gospel, and then we begin to equip those who've been transformed into Christ followers to lead in every area of life. And so that's a little bit of an intro and review this morning as we look into value number four. And the title of today's message is called Preparation on Purpose. Say it with me. Preparation on Purpose. It's in a general sense, deliberate preparation. Preparation on purpose. In a specific sense, it is helping you find your purpose according to the kingdom of God. It's to prepare you based on your individual and unique shape. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in the message. The series text begins in Isaiah 43, 21. The prophet says, This people have I formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. King James says, Show forth. And so it's the idea of modeling it. It's the idea of demonstrating it, to manifest something, to reveal it, to show it, to mentor others by demonstration, by example, not just teaching a principle, but walking the walk, not only talking the talk. Somebody say amen. 
message text is in Ephesians. You may remain seated, but I want you to read out loud with me, please, if you would. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Here we go. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. This is their their job description right here. Are you ready? Read it out loud. Their responsibility is to, everybody say equip. Okay, so to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Everybody say equip. So to equip is to train, it's to get ready. We're going to talk about the specifics, do a little bit of a Greek word study this morning, kind of a little bit uh, out of the ordinary than we normally do. And you'll see how it all began to come together toward the end of the message. Um, one thing, this is our, the chorus of the song we're going to sing over and over. God's leaders are saved to serve. Say that with me, saved to serve. If you don't get anything else this morning, those three words should be emblazoned in your thinking. So much of the Bible Belt South, churchianity is all about being saved from something, saved from sin, saved from hell, saved from death. And they rarely ever talk about what you've been saved for. You've been saved to something, saved to serve. So let's get it. Here we go. God's leaders are saved to serve his kingdom in every area of life by a living relationship with Jesus, grounding in the word and prayer, and a commitment to build community. Let's do it one more time. Here we go. God's leaders are saved to serve his kingdom in every area of life by a living relationship with Jesus, grounding in the word and prayer, and a commitment to build community. Let's pray this morning. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, wonderful Counselor, Jesus Christ, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Alpha and Omega, firstborn from the dead. We thank you today for your goodness, for your blessing, your mercy. I just ask you right now by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that you be in my thinking and in my words. I need you. Lord, I know that apart from you I'm nothing, but I'm grateful, O oh God, that because of Jesus I'm not apart from you. You live inside of me, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I ask you to, Holy Spirit, to do what only you can do. You are the teacher. You are the counselor. You're the comforter. Lord, you challenge us and correct us and encourage us. Lord, you establish us in the faith. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be in the hearing of the people. Let their hearts be open. Let their spirits be like a a, a newly plowed field ready to receive the seed of the gospel. Let the kingdom of God be in, the, in our thinking. We, we choose, Lord, to seek it first. You said that you would bring everything else that we need. You would cause it to come as a matter of course. If we would just seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, all these other things would be added unto us. We ask you today as we focus our hearts on you, we say, Jesus, be Lord of our lives. Come, kingdom of God, in our hearts we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Wow. Um, Great time last night. Just a lot of a whole lot of Drew's friends, college and baseball and high school, and some of the teachers that he grew up in their classes, and community people, and some church folk that know Drew, and uh, just had a great time. Most all the folk my age, I want to say the adults, even though my son is an adult, he's thirty, but I still think they're kids. Uh, everybody my age was had rolled out by about eight thirty. 
And so I'm figuring, okay, well, you know, let these little young whippersnappers have them another hour. Well, 9.30 passes, 10, 10.30 passes, 11 o'clock. And I looked at Drew and I said, are we going to call this? I have to preach tomorrow. <laughs> so about 11.30 they all left and we didn't have to tell anybody to go home. Although I was ready, I wanted to. I had a desire to tell them. And that will come out later in the message, what that means. But I, I just said, y'all go and have a good time. And so we... They laughed and talked and told stories, and Drew never did really get into any kind of trouble, but he was such a prankster, I mean an outrageous prankster. He was chased by more little fat Marion cops than you can even imagine, just all, just pulling stunts, you know, just craziness. Um, and so had a great time, they all left, and then we were up till after one this morning talking and laughing. And then I'm so pumped up from all of it, I, could, I couldn't sleep, and so, and then the alarm went off about five. So uh, I'm a little punchy this morning, so pray for me. Uh, but what I want to talk about is this, this component called equip. Everybody say equip. Um, the church isn't just to save people from something, but to teach them what they've been saved to, what God has saved us for, the purpose of God. We are, we are about preparation on purpose. And our... Fourth value, after you see the progression, if you would go ahead and put the stair steps back up for me again, we start with the environment and then we reach out and embrace people right where they are. God loves you right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. We're going to love you and we're going to show, we're going to the praises of God. We're going to love you the way Jesus loves you. And in the middle of all of that, when the opportunity comes, we're going to engage you with the comprehensive seed of the gospel and then let the Lord do the work. Because I can't save anybody, I can't deliver anybody, I can't make anybody be born again, I can't heal anybody, I, I, I can't do any of that. The Holy Spirit is the only one that does that. But I can be a channel, I can share a testimony, I, 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 you don't have to quote a bunch of scripture or know any Greek words at all, you just need to be able to say, this is where I was and God changed my life and this is where I am now. I'm, I, I'm not perfect, but he's, he's working on me. And the most powerful thing in your life to be able to engage people with in terms of the gospel is just the work that God's done in your own heart. As a matter of fact, your story is the most powerfully anointed thing about you because you've got a song that can't nobody else sing. You've got a testimony. You've got a word that God's been through with you and he's proven himself. Never going to let me down. Never going to let me down. And when you're all slapped up between betwixt a rock and a hard place and God shows up in that moment, when you wonder, okay, God, are you even paying attention? Do you know where I live? Do you know what I'm going through, Lord? And all of a sudden, circumstances just dramatically change. You've got a testimony because you prayed a prayer and God showed up and answered your prayer. You trusted him when all the circumstances seemed to be stacked up against you and faith seemed stupid. But you chose to say, Jesus, save me. I trust you. And I put my confidence in you, not in myself, not in my flesh, but in your ability to show up and change my circumstances. And when I do that and he shows up, I've got a story that somebody else at some time needs to hear about. And when I'll just open my mouth and tell my simple little story, it's amazing how the Holy Ghost will show up and produce faith in somebody's heart who's hearing what the Lord did for you. Just like the blind man said, I don't know. You can argue theologically about who this is and this Jesus. All I know is, he says in John 9, I know I once was blind, but now I see. 
And I just tell you, I'm just thankful that I met this man that opened my blind eyes and I can now see. So your testimony is one of the most powerful tools that you have. But there is some things that you can do to get equipped to be able to share with people so that the gospel will engage them. And what we want to talk about this morning is this equipping component, equipping Christ followers. Because as we progress up the steps, we've built an environment and we've trained people how to love God and how to love each other and have grace-based relationships and how to reach out to folks that don't look like us and don't talk like us and don't think like us and don't believe like us and don't live like us. And in spite of all the things that we think that keep us, the barriers, the walls, the, the politics, the identification, all of these things that separate us, if we reach across the wall and the barrier, instead of throwing up a wall, we, we attempt to build a bridge and reach into the hearts of those people. It's amazing how they get ready to hear the gospel and God does what he does and lives are transformed. And then there's a transformation that's taken place. There's a progression. We begin to train and equip Christ followers. See, we embrace everybody but we engage people with the life-giving message, the gospel. And then when they're changed, we begin to equip Christ followers. So something's happened between engage and equip, okay? And so the work of the Holy Spirit has shown up and some lives have been changed. There's a Greek word that I want to give you this morning that's going to appear in a number of different verses, and it's going to be, I won't say translated, but it uses a number of different words in totally different kinds of settings, and this word is katartizo. Katartizo. Say it with me. Katartizo. Okay? Now, it means to render. That is, i.e. means that is in Latin. To fit, sound, complete. Okay? The first uh, usage of the word is to mend. Okay? To mend what has been broken or rent. Rent not as when you don't have a mortgage on your house and you're paying rent. That's not what it means. But rent, something that's torn. Uh, a piece of material that has been rent. The veil in the temple when Jesus breathed the last breath was rent from top to bottom. It was torn in two, signifying that the old covenant had ended and God had opened up through the body of Jesus Christ a new and living way by the blood of the Lamb. So when something is rent in your life, something is broken, katartizo means to, to fit it, to make it sound, sound in our thinking, complete, okay, uh, to repair. B, another definition here, and this is where it's used in different words in the New Testament, means to fit out. Drew and Holly used a service uh, called the Black Tux, and uh, they sent me a link and an email and it says, get online, and you can just plug in your pant size and your shirt size. And, uh, you know, whether you are thin and lean and svelte, which is not part of my description, <laughs> or whether you're, you're a little more portly. <laughs> uh, and, and so I give my description and my shoe size and all this kind of stuff. And last week, I get a box that was delivered to me via FedEx. And my tux showed up for the wedding, which is in two weeks, and it's so cool. I didn't have to go to Memphis, and I didn't have to get fitted, and it actually fits. So based on the algorithm and the answers that I gave, and if you answer truthfully, then you should get one that fits. Now, if, you, if you're in denial about your size, 
I don't know who that's for, but that's the Holy Ghost right there. So just be who you are. And if you can tell the truth when you answer their questions, then you'll get something in the mail that'll fit. And so I've tried on my tux and it fits. And so I'm ready. It's sharp, man. I'm looking good. Hallelujah. And uh, it fits. So it fit me. I've been fitted out. I've been catartizoed for this special ceremony. Uh, it's also used to equip. When we read Ephesians 4.12, the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers have the responsibility of equipping, catartizo, God's people, to do his work, to build up the church that he may be glorified. It means to put in order. It means to arrange. It means to adjust. And sometimes you have to tweak things. I've been in the process since my lovely wife passed just going through and, and getting stuff that I don't need, just decluttering, just, just breaking the back of that hoarding spirit. I went into my garage and I went into my, I, it took me a month to get my garage cleaned out and I gave away and, and, and I threw away and my, my mother-in-law, Dawn's mom, just said, I can't believe you're getting rid of all this stuff. I said, I haven't used it. I don't need it. I need, I need peace in my, in my mind. I need, I need my, the room built for my car to hold my car. Yeah. <laughs> now, that's an idea, isn't it? Remarkable concept. Your car room holds your car. Not all the junk that's accumulated over 30 years of marriage. I got in my, after I cleaned out my garage, I pulled both cars into it, took a picture and sent it to the kids. I said, when's the last time you've seen this? <laughs> Go, Dad. And I left it that way for a week, and then I pulled everything out of my attic down into my garage and started the process again. And it took me a month again to go through stuff, to not throw away tax returns that I need to keep, to not throw away family photos and, and heirloom pieces and the the Afghan or the little baby blanket that my mother crocheted for me when I was two years old. I mean, just stuff that has no value to anybody else, but you can't throw that kind of stuff away. And so I'm, I'm going through and I'm sorting and I'm prioritizing and I'm putting in order. This is what I taught my children when they're growing up. Well, you know, I, I, want, I want to do, do great things. I want to be successful when I grow up. I said, okay, guess what? Your kingdom responsibility is right now. Your dominion, your domain is that front bedroom, Drew. Go take dominion over those dirty underwear in the floor, the 14 towels that you've bathed with that you can't ever hang up and use more than once. And so, and so I, w I was saying, okay, guess what? You want to bring dominion, bring the kingdom of God to that 12 by 14 room, whatever it is. Bring the kingdom of God. Bring order into that room. Guess what it says right here? It says to, to equip, to put in order. Everybody say to arrange. And, and, and that means that everything has a place and everything is in its place. I remember when he said to me when he was a little kid, Dad, I, I want you to buy me a really, really nice leather basketball. It's pretty expensive. This was back in, you know, the 90s. And I said, okay, where's your rubber basketball out in the yard? I said, well, show me for 30 days. You can bring it in and put it up and take care of it. Be faithful in the little things, and I will get you much. Yes, How I many of the worst thing you can do is just throw at your kids whatever their fondest heart's desire is and give it to them every time they ask, and you don't train them, you don't teach them to take care of what they've got? Some of you are complaining about the car you're driving right now, and you ain't driven it through. It hadn't seen a car wash rub in months. 
get you some quarters and go drive that puppy through and then thank God you got a clean one. And if you'll start being faithful in the little things, God will bless you with I'm preaching so good right now. I ought to be. Are y'all hearing me this morning? So I taught my children, get it in order. Pick up your stuff. Put it in the dishwasher. You know, it's amazing how when they started growing up and we quit making the tea and they opening the refrigerator and it wasn't there and didn't appear magically. And they said, guess what you do? You get some tea bags and you, you heat up some water and you stir in some sugar. And, you know, you give it to them. You give everything to your kids when they're little and then you start teaching them how to just go pour the glass. And then you start teaching them, and I'm going to teach you how to make this stuff now. Everybody say responsibility. Okay, so my job as the pastor of this, the lead pastor, is not just to put on a show for everybody every week where you come in and you can sing for a little while and you can drop your check in or however you give, whatever degree, you know, your time, your talent, your treasure. And it's not just about that. You may even serve on a team. You may attend a prayer time once in a while or go to Victory Chicks or to the men's group or whatever. I mean, you know, but it's, it, it, it is about recognizing that we are called to grow so that we, we have been saved to serve the kingdom of God, not just on a team in victory, but out there in our community. Amen. So this is what I want you to see this morning. It says to fit or frame for oneself, prepare to prepare ethically. It means how I conduct my business, whether I have integrity or not, whether I'm honest, whether I tell the truth, whether I follow through with my commitments. I'm going to be honest with you. Some of you, I'm worried if you even pay your bills because you can't keep nursery and show up just once a month. Oh, we got real quiet in here. Can you pay your bills, pay your bills on time because you can't keep a commitment to the children's ministry? Well, I don't feel like it this morning. Well, bless God, I didn't feel like getting out of the bed this morning, but I'm here to minister to you. Everybody say, we love you, Pastor. Ethically, to strengthen, to perfect, to complete. Perfection in this sense doesn't mean sinless perfection. It means maturity. It means you've been, you, you go through 13 years of public education or private education or, or homeschooling, whatever you do, from kindergarten level through 12th grade, and you've completed a basic level of knowledge so that you can make a choice to go into a vocation or you can continue uh, intellectual pursuits, academic pursuits on a college level, but you've, you've been completed. You've you, uh, you, 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 you have been able to accomplish some things and set things in order in terms of some intellectual concepts. And finally, it says, make one what he ought to be. And this is what the gospel does it, when it begins to wrestle with us and equip us to get us set right and get us adjusted and get us corrected and get us prepared and get us equipped. Everybody say, katotizo. So now that you understand the word, we're going to look at it in several spots. King Influencers, Luke chapter 22, verses 25 and 26. Kingdom influencers is what God has called us to be. It in, in this world, Jesus told them, the kings and great men say it, lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. It even sounds heavy. It sounds like a ball and chain. Lord it over. Look at what Jesus said. Read it out loud with me. But among you it will be, you can't act like the world acts. You can't come in with a takeover mentality strong-arming and muscling your way in and intimidating and manipulating. The kingdom of God is counterintuitive. It's upside down. You die to live. You give to receive. You serve to lead. And this is what he says right here. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leader should be like a what? 
So if we're going to be effective in we, as we get into this new facility, which is just a tool, this doesn't mean we've arrived. It means we just now have something that we can really be incredibly effective in the Delta, where we can bring people to something that we're not ashamed of, that we in a godly sense can be grateful and be thankful. And, and if I can use this word in, a, in the righteous kind of way, have a little bit of godly pride to say, look what the Lord has blessed us with. We're so grateful. But, it, but it, this is not the end all of anything. This is now we're going to get down in the trenches and we're going to use this tool to be able to reach out into the delta and do things we've never been able to do before. And the way we do that is not because we're so big and high and mighty and powerful and manipulating and intimidating, but it's because we now choose, we recognize that if we're going to follow Jesus and be like him, if we're going to be kingdom influencers, we're going to get up underneath the burden of Crittenden County and the Delta, and we're going to lift up people in their station in life. We're going to get down and pull them up out of the pit because the gospel has the ability to do that. Somebody say amen. Life in the upside down kingdom is not to be from the top down. It's from the bottom up. Point number two, the prototype and the blueprint. It's kind of building sort of jargon. You know, we, we looked at some models. We tweaked. We had blueprints. We examined. We've made adjustments. Even after the building went up, we walked in there and made some changes. I said, no, no, knock this wall out and put a door there so we can have accessibility and all of these different issues. Sometimes you can even see it on paper, but until you start walking through it, just like a principle in the kingdom of God. You can recite it, but until you actually are between a rock and a hard place and you have to remember God's never going to let you down. Amen. He's always good. Come on, somebody. And that's when you prove it and your test that you're in becomes a testimony. Somebody say amen. amen. Jesus is the prototype. He is the first to show us and demonstrate, in, in Romans 8, 29 says, For whom he did foreknow, those he did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. If he's the firstborn, it implies a second and a third. And there were 12 disciples that followed him. And one of them stood up on the day of Pentecost after the sound of the rushing mighty wind, and 120 were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the same old impetuous just knee-jerk kind of stick your big stinky size 13 fisherman foot in your mouth, Peter, goes out and anointed by God on the day of Pentecost and he preaches in the streets and 3,000 more were born. And a couple days later, they're preaching again and 5,000 more were born. And that's been happening for 2,000 years. The kingdom of God has been gradually advancing and increasing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger because the gospel says, found in the Old Testament prophet, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Luke grabbed that Isaiah 9 passage and says, of the increase of his kingdom, there will be no end. How many of you are thankful for that this morning? Your number's in there somewhere and God knows your number. He knows when the Holy Spirit tapped you on the shoulder and said, you're my child. You've been running far away, but I'm calling you to myself. And you sensed a transformation and you said, you know what? I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to walk with the Lord. And your life began this amazing, beautiful journey of, of letting the Holy Spirit begin to transform you. If that's happening in your life, somebody say amen. Jesus is the prototype and he's the blueprint. Luke 640, look at this. Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is? Katertizo. Not only to mend, not only to prepare, 
Not only, but it's to train, to equip. The student who is fully trained, in other words, when you graduate as a senior from this, guess what you're going to be? Just like your teacher. The object of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is to make you like Jesus. It's to work the image of Christ into your life. It's to wrestle down all of your desires that are not like the blessing and the, what pleases God. There, there is a tendency in this day to say politically, well, I have this desire and I just can't believe that God would birth me on the planet and give me this desire and then call it wrong, call it a sin. Folk, I want to tell you something. Because of sin in all of our lives, we all have all kinds of wrong desires that we have to learn by the strength of the Holy Spirit to rise up and say no to. We have to say no to the flesh. We have to say no to the temptation of sin. There are people who will tell you that they are born with a desire for pedophilia. They want to have sex with children. God help us. God help us when our nation gets to the point that we start calling that group of people a protected class of citizens. Because it's a wrong desire. It's an aberrant desire. It's a desire that our laws are set up to protect us from. There are people who woke up today that have a desire to steal something from your house and you've got a big dog in a security system that is set there to battle their wrong desires. Do I need to belabor the point? You see what I'm saying? We've all got desires that are some of them good and some of them bad and we have to go before God and we have to let the word of the Lord be the final say, the final standard. The Bible is the the, the rule and faith of our conduct just want to say this to you. I want to embrace everybody. I want to love everybody. I want to let the gospel get in their hearts and deal with them. And I'm going to say something that I don't want to be too, I don't want to cross the line and get too familiar, but everybody in this room, including myself, has to battle wrong desires. Now, most churches won't acknowledge that, and the preacher would never say that. And I'll I'll tell you, I'll tell you a desire that I had to battle this week. Because I was dealing with some folks that just needed a good cussing. You better, get, you better wipe that pious look off your face. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And you've been right there in that same boat. And guess what? I did not let myself do what I wanted to do. Even though it would have probably given me a little bit of relief. Because they, bless God... They didn't just need a good cussing. They needed to be minute. I needed to lay hands on them suddenly. I had to back up and breathe. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Just because you've got a desire doesn't legitimize it. You could get so angry that... that Anger can become murder if you don't cut it off at the root. And before you know it, that seed of lust has conceived and it brings forth death. Lust is not just sexual. Lust is any kind of strong desire. And the fact is, I've got to get my desires sanctified. I've got to let the Holy Ghost get in my heart and wrestle down the stuff that's not right and fertilize and grow and water the stuff that is right. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching. I know I'm preaching real good right now. 
When we're fully trained, we will be like our teacher. Katertizo. Jesus is equipping us. He is growing his church. That means if I'm easily offended, that I decide to say, you know what, I'm, I'm not just going to keep living emotionally in the seventh grade. <laughs> I have nobody in mind. No, no faces are coming before me when I think that. But I guarantee you there's a couple of folks in this room that need to hear that word. Grow up. <laughs> Grow up. Come on, if, if, if everybody's got to walk on eggshells around you because you're so stinking easily offended, if you have the same problem with everybody, guess what, baby? You're the problem. All right, I've got you opened up on the surgery table right now, so don't, don't flop off the table. Just hang on, okay? Let's tell the truth. Fully trained. Jesus is the prototype. 2 Timothy 3.16. Let's grab it. This is one you ought to commit to memory. Here we go. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. As long as I'm alive, as long as I am the lead pastor of Victory Church, we will always be committed to the integrity and to the final authority of the Word of God. We will be a people who are grounded in the Word. We're going to love anybody regardless of what their sin issues are or their desires, but we're going to love on you and then we're going to tell you the truth. We're going to speak the truth in love. We're going to say, this will kill you if you keep this up. We love you and you need to repent. You need to change your thinking about this because everybody out there in the world is telling you it's legit, it's okay, and we're telling you, look, the way we see the Bible means we can't, we can't celebrate that. We love you. We love you. Now, this is the tendency. This is, there, nothing has changed. Jesus walked into the most divisive, polarized environment with the Pharisees on one side and the Sadducees on the other. The Pharisees are today's hyper-fundamentalists, the legalists, and the Sadducees are the liberals, the modernists that don't think there's any kind of miracles anymore today, and they just basically water down the whole word, and the Bible's just a few suggestions. Okay? I don't want either. I don't, want, I don't want a liberal, hyper-liberal view of anything, and I don't want a hard-line, extreme right where I'm a hyper-fundamentalist and I'm all about truth and I don't have any love. Come on, somebody. But I don't want to go back over here to this side where everything, just anything goes. In the name of loving people, just, oh, just do whatever the heck you want to. It's all right. God loves you anyway. That, that kind of thinking will kill you. Are y'all hearing me this morning? Jesus stepped into the middle of it, and he was the third option. The third option is called the kingdom of God. You must be born again. I was born this way. Okay, I understand it. Every one of us were born in sin. Guess what? You need to be born again. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. And then when you're born again, you need to be regularly filled with the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3, 17. Here we go. Get it. God uses it to what? There it is. And a what? Equip. So God is maturing us. He's completing us. He's mending us. He's fixing us. He's ordering and arranging us. He's adjusting it. Prepare and equip. I love that. The Word of God is our pattern. Jesus is our prototype. He's the firstborn from the dead. Colossians says, first chapter of the book of Revelation says, firstborn among many brethren. So if there's a firstborn, there's a two and a three and 120 and a 3,000 and two million and a billion born into the kingdom of God. I love that. 
Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Look at this. Now may the, and he's praying. Whoever wrote Hebrews, I believe Paul, but we can't prove that and it really doesn't matter. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he what? So we're, we're grounded in prayer. May he equip you with all you need. Everybody say katertizo right there. Katertizo, that's what that is. May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. Look at the next one. May he say it. Produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is what? No, it's not what pleases me. It's not whatever my desires are just to please myself. It's what God is producing in me, the desire to please him. Come on, somebody. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. Are you getting anything out of this? Last point and I'm finished. God has called us to be net menders and community builders. God's leaders are saved to serve his kingdom in every area of life by a living relationship with Jesus Christ and grounding in the word and in prayer and the desire, the determination, the decision to build community. Look with me to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 21. A little farther up the shore, Jesus is walking the shores of Galilee. He's calling his disciples and he happens up on the sons of thunder, James and John. And it says a little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, what? Catertizo. They're repairing their nets. And he called them to come to my whole point is, is that what God has invested in you, your gifts, your skills, your spouse, your children, your business, your job, your career, your house, your car, your neighborhood, your relationships, your network. God wants us to mend those nets because something that can begin as just a little hole, if we don't pay attention to it, will eventually unravel and it will become a gaping hole. And a marriage with challenge all of a sudden ends in a marriage that's ended because we didn't mend the nets with our spouses, because we didn't train our children in the way that they should go, in the principle that when they're old, they will not depart from it. We can't blame anybody else but ourselves. We can't blame the youth pastor that didn't get them saved or the teacher that didn't get them taught. Parents need to be parents. Don't shout me down, but somebody say Amen. Your responsibility, your God-given charge and mandate is to parent, lead, mentor, disciple your children. Example, model before them. Demonstrate the praises of God in your house where it's hard, where it's difficult, where the challenge is and when you just know they need a good cussing. Come on. And you decide that you're going to walk in love, but you're going to be firm you're not just going to be mushy-gushy and just give them whatever they want whenever they ask for it, but you're going to say, take care of what you got, and guess what? Be faithful in the little things, and I will make you ruler over much. You want a leather basketball, Drew? Take care of the rubber one. Bring it in the house for 30 days straight. Take care of it. Let me see that it's in its place in the garage, and then we'll talk about getting you a leather one. That's how God works. God doesn't just give social promotions in public school. He doesn't just send you on to the next grade when you flunk the last three. No, children of Israel, he'll send you around the mountain again and again and go, okay, we didn't get it that time. Just line up, baby, rank them up, file them up because we're going to go again. Here, head them up, move them out. Here we go, rawhide. 
That wasn't in the message. I don't know where that came from. They're repairing their nets. Build your network. Your kids can't be worth anything if you don't love your wife. What is the person I think Dr. Billy Graham said the best thing you can do for your kids is to love mama? I don't think he said it like that, but that's how he, what he said. To love their mother. So mend the nets. Mend the relationships with your children. I loved it. We, we drove two days. We drove eight, a half, nine hours and stayed the night in Bristol, Virginia. Abby and I did. And we talked all the way and just had the best time. Got the next morning. We drove eight, nine more hours and drove it into Manhattan and loaded the stuff into her new apartment. And just really, it was a net mending time in our lives. And you have to make connections. You have to, you have to make connections during hard times when they don't want to connect. Last thing on a 15, 16-year-old kid's mind is to connect. And they've usually got a smart aleck smirk on their face, too. You just want to slap that connection right out of their mouth. But don't do it. Don't do it. Just because you have the desire doesn't legitimize it. (laughs) How many know what I'm talking about? You know, I enjoyed the trip because she's at that age now where she's, I don't want to tell off, but, um, you know, just saying, you know, Dad, I'm so grateful for how you and mom raised us. And I'm I'm so blessed. Everybody doesn't get to have the kind of house that we were raised in. And I'm so, and you know, when you're you're grinding your teeth through those mid-teenage years, and then then you finally make it through, and then they come back and they go, thank you for putting up with me. And I'm going, are you okay, baby? (laughs) I mean, mean, if you'll hang on and wait, it'll happen. Oh, my goodness. Are you getting anything out of this? Let me finish. Okay. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. If we will let the, the, the people of God, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, do their job, their responsibility to equip us, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way, more and more like Christ. That's what we've been saying at every point. The student becomes like the teacher. Who is the, everybody say the head. That's important in a minute when I finish. Who is the head of his body, the church. Look at this. He makes the whole body what? Say it. Fit together perfectly. That's that same catartizo principle right there. As each part does its own special work. Let's finish. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Finally, I want to just say, honor your connections. Honor your connections. If things are not connecting with a loved one, then don't just look for the opportunity to make it happen, but arrange. Have a special meal together. Sit down with your family at the dinner table, not with the TV going, shut it off. I mean, my goodness, at least one night a week. Families do things differently, but I just think you need some face-to-face time. Build those connections. Mend the nets. Mending nets means there are holes there, that ropes that have been cut or have been torn, and we need new knots to be tied, thus repairing the holes. You know, if a little hole isn't paid attention to, it just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger in a gaping hole, and you can throw the net out there, and a whole school of fish just swim right through it. If we don't mend our nets and our relationships as brothers and sisters and have grace-based relationships, if we don't learn, if we don't get out of the eighth grade, 
And we don't learn to go talk to the person we have a problem with instead of telling everybody else. Come on, grow up out of junior high. Cut that mess out. Be, be, be a woman of God. Be a man of God and go, go talk to the person and say, look, I'm, I'm offended. I don't know if maybe I heard it wrong. Please explain this to me. But there's a, there's a break. And I feel like we need to mend the net. And just open your heart. And then don't be overly sensitive when somebody tells you the truth. Because we all need somebody that will look at us and tell us the truth. You're impatient. You could be a donkey in your attitude sometimes. I'm talking about me. I'm not looking at anybody thinking that. I'm just saying you can, you can be impatient. You can be a little curt. You can be a little short in your speech. My daddy, until I was an older kid, I thought he was mad at me all the time because he's just the way dad talked. He's just Savannah, Tennessee, good old southern dude. And he just, he just sounded like he was angry. And he, said, he cried when he was an older man. And he said, son, I'm sorry. I never intended. It's just the way I was raised. It's just the way I talked. And it wasn't until one day when I just got brave enough to say, Dad, are you mad at me? And he said, why would you think that? I said, because that's how you sound. He said, and a tear rolled down his cheek. I said, he said, Michael, I'm sorry. I don't want you to ever think that. And we mended a net. And I took a moment and I got close to my dad. And I, the Lord healed a father wound. Because I'm thinking my dad doesn't like me and it's just real easy to project that onto a heavenly father that I feel like is, is mad at me. And, 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 and if, if you, when, you, when you finally have one that's not connected with you, open up and tells you something you don't want to hear, don't give them a good cussing. Just listen. Am I helping somebody in the room this morning? Mend the, mend the holes. And I want to ask you just three quick questions. Are you connected? And to whom? Who are you connected to in this room? Are you connected to someone in a covenant relationship, a marriage? then decide you're going to pour your whole heart into it and love them with the same intensity you did when you stood up before friends and family in the presence of God and you said, God, I make a vow. Because, you know, sometimes that thing dims. It, 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 it goes, the fire goes out on us and we've got to stoke the fire. Are those connections life-giving? Some of you have lots of connections, but you've got so many connections, it's all pulling on you. And they're pulling you in a direction you're trying to get set free from. They're pulling you back into old lifestyles and old habits. And you need to sever some connections. You need to let the Word of God, which is a sharp two-edged sword, sever a connection if it's just sucking you back into something you're trying to get rid of. Come on, don't shout me down. It's the truth. You need some life-giving connections. You, everybody in the room needs a cheerleader, somebody that when you're with the, the New Testament guy that I'm thinking of, his name is Barnabas, and his name literally means son of encouragement. And people would get around him, and they would just get strengthened, and they would be filled with faith. Who is she, lady, sister in your life? Who, is, who do you call that when you hang up the phone, you feel like, man, I am, I, I, I am ready to take on the world? Who is it, brother? Who do you spend a few minutes with, and you go away just feeling like, man, I could do this? By the strength and the help of God, I'm able to do I believe God's going to be with me. Who builds into you? Who invests in you? Those are, those, are nec- those, are, those are networks and those are connections that you need to make sure they stay mended. And finally, the ultimate question is, are you connected to the head? And his name is Jesus. You can come into this church. You can sit 
in this room and you cannot even know Jesus as your personal Savior. Sitting in that chair and being in this service doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in your garage and putting the door down and sitting right there on the ground makes you a car. So I want to ask you, those of you that are here this morning, are you connected to the head? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord? Colossians 2.19 says, And they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body, for he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. I pruned some trees getting ready for the party because it was all out in the yard with all those people. I can get 80 people in my house. So we're out in the yard and out in the courtyard and the little you know, garden area. And I pruned them a couple weeks ago and they laid out by the side of the road until the Marion, you know, people came with the truck and picked it up and put it in. Do you know those leaves on those branches stayed green all week long until about the last day before they picked them up? Those those leaves were dead and didn't know it yet because they'd lost connection to the vine. This morning I want to ask you, You know, you may have a whole life filled with all kinds of activities, but are you connected to the head whose name is Jesus? Because our life source has to be him. He is our life. This morning, as I close this service today, my questions are, are you connected to anybody and whom? And are those connections life-giving? But the most important question is the last one. Are you connected to the head? Because you know what? I can cut a finger off, and that finger will, will die unless some very amazing neurosurgeon puts it all back together and it's going to take a lot of healing and repair, a lot of katertidzo. Don't let the enemy cut you off and sever you from important relationships, your most important one being being connected to Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Lights are going down this morning. I'd ask you to bow your heads with me, please.